Hello, this is Aaron. Thank you for tuning in to the Church Discussions Podcast. I hope you're blessed and well. If this is your first time tuning in, I want to say thank you so much for listening. This is a resource for growth in your understanding of the scriptures. I encourage you to follow the Instagram for more content and feel free to share this podcast with your family and friends. This is episode number 21. Today I'm going to be talking about the sovereignty of God. I know that I've quickly mentioned the sovereignty of God in episode number three, but today I'm going to dig a little bit more into this topic. I want to thank you for your patience as I've taken a break for the last couple of weeks from the podcast. I spent a lot of time with family during the holidays. It was a much needed break, but let's go ahead and jump right into this. Once again, I'm talking about the sovereignty of God. Now, what is the sovereignty of God? It is the belief that God has complete authority, power, and control over all things. It's the fact that God is God. God is not limited in his power or sovereignty. Nothing stops God. Nothing and no one stops or limits God. He is eternal, mighty, and powerful. Now, there are some who believe that man has free will and that because of our free will, God is limited in who he can save or what he can do. I completely disagree with this idea. And I'm going to explain why more in detail. First of all, our idea of free will should come from Scripture. I honestly believe that the perception that most people have about free will is very unbiblical. Uh, here's a quote here from R.C. Sproul. He's one of one of one of the theologians that I listen to quite consistently. Here's a, a quote from him. It says, "To say that God's sovereignty is limited by man's freedom is to make man sovereign." Now, what he means by that is God isn't limited by our free will. God isn't limited by us. God doesn't sit back and hope that we choose him by our own free will. He doesn't sit back and pray, quote, unquote, that we choose the right thing. Here's another quote from A.W. Pink. It says, to argue that God is trying his best to save all mankind, but the majority of men will not let him save them, is to insist that the will of the creator is impotent and the will of the creature is omnipotent. What A.W. Pink is saying there is he's saying if you think that God is limited in his power by man, by man's free will, that would mean then that would mean that God isn't strong and man is strong. Man is powerful. Man is sovereign. You see, an unbiblical view of free will demotes God and it promotes man. It presents man as sovereign and powerful, not God. It presents a weak and small God, and it presents a strong and powerful man. You know, this idea reminds me of the movie Bruce Almighty, if you've ever seen the movie. <laughs> uh, Jim Carrey is the main actor in that movie. It basically is about Jim Carrey who meets God. God is Morgan Freeman in the movie. And God allows Jim Carrey to fill in for God. He gives God, he gives Jim Carrey God's powers. Jim Carrey has an argument with Morgan Freeman in the movie. And the argument is, is basically about free will. Where Morgan Freeman pretty much um, t 
tells Jim Carrey, you let me know when you can figure out how we can get people to love us without imposing on free will. And this movie, it, it shows the secular secularized uh, view of free will. It's a false view of free will that much of our society has. So let's go ahead and just dive into some scriptures here regarding the sovereignty of God. We're going to come back to free will later in the episode, but let's go ahead and take a look at some scriptures here. I want to look at Psalms chapter 103, verse 19. This is the New American Standard Bible. And it says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Here's another scripture, Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. You see, this idea of sovereignty, what it does is it shows us that God is powerful and mighty, that nothing and no one can stop God from doing what he desires to do. Psalm chapter 135, verse 6 and 7, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. You see, if God wants something to happen, then he'll he'll make it happen. God is not limited. Not, nothing and no one can stop God from accomplishing what he wants to be accomplished. God is never in the background of hoping and praying that things work out, praying that people choose the right thing, praying that out of our free will, we make the right decision. God is never like that. Job chapter 42, verse 2. This is a very common scripture that we can always look at when it comes to the sovereignty of God. This is Job speaking to God. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You see, Job is telling God, look, I understand that you can do anything that you would like to do, and nobody can stop you in accomplishing your purposes. You see, God doesn't take counsel or advice from anyone. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's predetermining, and he's orchestrating all things all the time. He's always known what's going to happen. He's had his foreknowledge. But he's also sovereignly controlling all things. Now, there are many who ask the question, if God controls everything and is going to do what he wants, why should we pray? This is a common question that I get uh, pretty consistently every time I talk about the sovereignty of God. And I think it's a good question. Once again, the question that I get is, if God is sovereign, why should we pray? And I think a good response to this is, why wouldn't we pray if God is sovereign? Here's what I want you to understand. God uses our prayers in his sovereign plan. You see, the reason I'm saved is because my mom had prayed for me. She was consistent in her prayer for my salvation. And God used that. I'm saved because God predetermined to save me, he predetermined to save my mom back in 2007. My mom prayed for me consistently in that time when I was a little troublemaker, teenager. <laughs> I remember going to Bible study and going to church with my mom. We were going to different church meetings and Bible study meetings where she would lift me up in prayer and she'd mention, I want to pray for my son for his salvation. And I remember just scoffing at her, just looking at her like, you don't need to pray for me. <laughs> 
you know, I was about 14 years old and I remember I was hanging out with my friends. I was going to church with my mom, but at the same time, I was still off doing my thing. I was partying, drinking, hanging out with my friends. I remember a particular day where I was hanging out with my friends. I was about 14 years old. I wasn't a Christian yet. I was definitely attending church with my mom. I remember I was skating with my friends. We were out on the streets. We were smoking weed and just doing different stuff. And we were hanging out. And I remember this one woman comes up to me and she tells me, hey, I want you to know about Jesus. And she begins to share the gospel with me. Now, I remember kind of making a rude response to that. I was kind of rude to this lady. I think I made a joke to her or about her in front of my friends just to get some laughs and giggles. I remember during that same day coming home and another guy comes up to me and shares the gospel with me. And I remember in my mind, I was just thinking, how can I avoid this? But I remember just being overwhelmed with conviction. I remember attending church services and hearing my pastor preach the word of God. And there was this heavy burden, this heavy conviction upon me that caused me to realize that I was sinful, that I was weak and frail and that I needed God. And I remember just completely surrendering my heart to him. Now, this is where it's going to get a little bit complicated. I, I want to explain to you that God is sovereign in salvation. God is sovereign in more of a cosmic level. God is sovereign in all things. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's in control of everything. He's not just in control of the big things, but he's also sovereign even in the smallest of details. I want to read something from the Westminster Confession of Faith, if you know what that is. If you don't know what a confession is or what the Westminster Confession of Faith is, I want to explain to you what that is. Now, I do want to mention that this is not scripture. It's not sacred scripture. The Westminster Confession of Faith is something that 151 theologians wrote. They drafted up. It was documentation that they put together to explain what they believed. It was their statement of faith. If you wanted to know what they believed about God or the Bible, then you would read their confession or their creed. And it basically sums up everything that they believed altogether. A lot of churches still use the Westminster Confession of Faith in their churches today. Now I'm going to read a small portion that talks about the sovereignty of God. This is chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin. I encourage you to go and, and look up this, this passage here in the Westminster Confession of Faith. I encourage you to, to read the whole confession for yourself. Uh, I think it's really helpful. It's filled with scripture. It's filled with doctrine. It, it'll, it'll really help you understand more about God and his word. But I, I want to go ahead and just explain what it's saying here. I'll read it again. The very first part of it says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. So the first part of it says, that God ordains whatsoever comes to pass. That means that God ordains many things that happened, everything that happens. 
You see, a lot of times what we have this, what we think is we have this idea that God is, is he's kind of, he, he created the world and he kind of just backed away and just let things just unravel through time. And I disagree with this. This is what deism is. It's this idea or this belief that God created the earth and he just kind of stepped away and he's not really involved in our lives. He's not really involved in the personal things in this world. He kind of just let things go off on their own. This is actually a, a false belief that a lot of our founding fathers in the United States had in the 1700s. This is the way they viewed God and it's, it's not biblical. It's not aligned with scripture. God is completely involved in everything. He ordains all things and he decrees all things. You see, God allows many things to happen that might not seem good. The last part of this thing right here, the last part of chapter of, of that of that portion right there in the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, so thereby neither is God the author of sin. So God didn't author sin, but I do want to let you know that God permits or he allows sin. He allows certain things to happen that might not seem good. And we'll never fully understand this, but this is definitely true. We know this is true. If you remember the story about Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers in Genesis, this is something that wasn't too good. This is this was sin by the brothers. They they did something that was wrong. They did something that was evil. But if you remember in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, Joseph he says, "As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive." As they are today. So you see, there was an evil that was done against Joseph, but what God does is he turns it around and uses it for good. And this is evident all through scripture. If you think about the story of Job, where Satan goes and tempts Job, if you look at the results of that, there was some good result that came from that. Another more obvious or clear uh, evidence of this is Jesus. If you think about the wickedness and the sinfulness of Judas and his betrayal on Jesus, it was completely evil, but it was predetermined. According to Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says, This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. I'll read that verse again. It says, this man, he's referring to Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Peter is making it clear that it was predetermined for Christ to die on the cross for our sin. It was God's foreknowledge. God pre-planned it. He pre-ordained it. And yes, even though it was wicked and sinful, the result of it, is definitely glorious. We are all redeemed because of the wickedness of Judas. You see, there are some things that God allows that directly or indirectly contribute to God's desired result. I'll say that again. There are things that God allows that directly or indirectly contribute to God's desired results. The betrayal against Jesus was evil, but the result was our redemption. 
Here's another scripture that, that affirms this idea of God's sovereignty and predetermination. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, it says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. You see, the amazing thing is God is in control and he already has determined the end from the beginning. Before anything has even happened, he's already determined that things shall happen the way they do. He's sovereign over every detail, whether big or small, since even the smallest detail affects the big things as well. If the small details change, then the big, the big things change as well. You might think, what does that small little tiny atom have to do with us on more of a cosmic level? Well, I want, I want to make it clear to you, it definitely affects everything. So God is sovereign even over the smallest things. But God is not the author of sin. He permits it or he allows it to happen. But ultimately, everything results in God's glory. Now, let's go back and talk about free will a little bit. There are different views and beliefs when it comes to free will. Unfortunately, a humanistic view of free will is, is extremely prevalent in our culture. I looked up the definition of free will and I got this definition. I found it on Google. It says the ability to act at one's own discretion. So the common view of free will is basically that a person can make a decision based on their own desire, their own ultimate self-determination. That a person makes a decision without any help or assistance from anyone or anything. Now, I want you to understand that anytime someone makes a decision on a general basis, their decision is always based on something. If you told me to choose between two things, I'm going to choose based on my inclination to those things. Now, here's the thing that I want to make clear to you. This is a biblical idea I want you to understand is humanity is inclined to wickedness. He is a slave to sin, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 20, if he's not saved. Let's go ahead and look at more scripture that talks about this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. This is the NASB. It says, And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. The first part of that verse, it says, You were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds. The scripture is making it clear that we were hostile toward God. Here's another scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The first part of this verse says we were enemies of God, but we were reconciled through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's another scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. 
for it is not even able to do so. There's another scripture. It makes it clear that our flesh, our nature, is inclined to evil. It does not subject itself to the law of God. In our, in our own strength, we have no desire for God. Scripture says we are hostile to God in our own natural flesh. We are enemies of God. We were dead in sin and trespasses, according to Ephesians chapter 2. We were spiritually blind. We were slaves to sin. And we were under the wrath of God. So in our own nature, we are sinfully wicked and we have no desire for God. We have no desire for anything good. So scripture is clear that we are inclined to, to wickedness. We are inclined to evil. So if your argument is we choose God out of our own free will, what I want you to understand is the will is not free in a certain sense. The will is bound to our sinful nature. The will is, is in bondage to sin, to wickedness. So if you think about it, our will is not even free. Because our inclination is evil by nature. So there is nobody who chooses God. There is nobody who chooses to do what is right. There is nobody who is perfect. There is nobody who wants good and wants God. Scripture reveals that constantly. Here's one more passage of Scripture I want, I want to read to you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, But a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So Scripture reveals that that that. In our natural person, in our natural state, we we are, you know, the things of God are foolishness to us. The scripture here says, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. So we can't even understand the word of God without God's help, without God's sovereign grace. Scripture reveals that before regeneration, before we are born again, prior to us, God saving us, we're completely and totally inclined to evil, to choose evil, and to desire evil. We are not incl inclined to good. We are not inclined to serve God in any capacity in our own natural state. Our will is bound by our sinful nature. I'll, I'll be honest with you. If it were up to us, none of us would have chose God. Scripture is clear that God chose us first. He's the one that chose us. We didn't choose him. He comes to us and he brings us to life. He regenerates us and causes us to be born again. And he provides us with, with grace and faith. Both faith and grace are a gift from God. So the faith, it's not like we just, we just conjure up faith in our own strength. The faith and the grace both come directly from God. He supplies it so that we can serve him and love him according to, to the way he wants us to, according to his sovereign grace. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace in which he favored us in the beloved. 
I want to break down this scripture. I want to go ahead and explain the scripture here to you in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. And I encourage you to study it. I encourage you to read it over and over and over again. I believe the idea of sovereignty in, in our salvation is clear all throughout scripture. And what I believe is God is glorified in that. You see, God is the one who is responsible for the salvation of his people. We don't get any glory for our salvation. We don't get any glory, not even for our good deeds or good works. The scripture teaches that our, our good deeds are like filthy rags. So if we offer anything outside of God's grace within our own strength to God, it's like a filthy rag, like a dirty garment. It's not acceptable to God. But because of God's grace, he has empowered us, enabled us, and strengthened us to, to serve him and to love him. So once again, let's go ahead and just break down this passage of scripture here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. The first part of it says, just as he chose us in him, the him is Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we would be homely, holy and blameless before him. The scripture is saying that even before the world was created, God had already chose who he was going to redeem. I'll read that verse again. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. So the scripture says that he predestined us. That means that ahead of time, he had already chose who he was going to redeem, who his elect were, and he chose who he was going to save and who he was going to bring into adoption through Jesus Christ, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make clear to you that not everybody in the world is a son or a daughter of God. The Bible says that we are adopted into the family of God. So if you've been saved, if you've been born again, then you've been adopted into the family of God. And this scripture says that God predestines us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. See, it's according to God's will. It's not according to us. God doesn't look at people and think, hey, I, I kind of like that person, so I'm going to save them. I'm going to choose them to be saved or redeemed. Our salvation is not based on us. God does not have favoritism toward people. He simply chooses his people according to his good pleasure of his will. It's according to his counsel. It's according to his knowledge. It's not according to us. Then verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace in which he favored us in the beloved. So it's according to his glory that he chooses or he predestines his people, the elect. John chapter 6 verse 44, it says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. That's Jesus speaking. He's saying nobody can come to him. Nobody just in their own free will chooses Jesus. I'll read that verse again. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. You see, during that moment when my mom was praying for me, she was praying for my salvation. It was the spirit of God. It was God who was drawing me to Jesus. I was being drawn throughout that time. And I couldn't resist it. 
Nobody can resist God's will. God is sovereignly in control of who's going to be saved. We don't lose salvation. We don't just forfeit or give up salvation. There's this idea that people have that, that, that we can lose our salvation. If I haven't prayed for two or three weeks, then I'm going to lose my salvation. If you believe this idea, then that means that your salvation is based on your works. That as long as you're praying, as long as you're going to church, as long as you're reading your Bible, you're saved. That's not what Scripture teaches, though. I know a lot of times what we do is we 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 push this idea that you need to do things, that you need to pray, you need to read your Bible, you need to go to church, you need to do this, do that, do this, do that. And we focus so much on what people need to do, but not enough on what Jesus Christ has already done. So this is the main thing that I want you to realize is... We are saved solely by the sovereign grace of God. And we don't choose God. He chooses us. John chapter 6, verse 37, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. That's Jesus speaking. He's saying the ones that the Father elect to be saved, to be redeemed, he will give to Jesus. And Jesus won't cast them out. You see, God elects, Jesus pays the price of redemption, and the Holy Spirit regenerates the elect by applying the work of redemption to God's elect. So God gets the glory for our salvation. We don't get any part of the glory. And because of this, we can rejoice. Because of this, we can praise God and we can glorify Him because He is just so good because of His sovereign grace. So now that I've talked about God being sovereign in salvation, I want to go back and mention that God is sovereign over everything. God is sovereign over all things on a cosmic level, on a universal level, even on a personal level. God is sovereign over the smallest, tiniest details. God is sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over weather. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, it, it shows that God is sovereign over the seasons. In Psalms 74, verses 16 through 17. In Psalm 104, verse 19, it shows that God is sovereign over the sun. In Psalm 147, verse 4, it shows that God is sovereign over the stars in the sky. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, in Psalm 78, verse 26, in Job chapter 28, verse 25 through 27, it reveals that God is sovereign over the wind. In Job chapter 5, verse 10, in Psalm chapter 135, verse 6, it shows that God is sovereign over the earth, that he sustains the earth. In Job chapter 26, verse 8 and 9, it shows that God causes lunar ecl eclipses. In Psalm chapter 147, verse 8, it shows that he provides the growth for grass and crops. In Job chapter 37, verse 1 through 18, it shows that God sends lightning. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 13, it shows that God sends loud thunderstorms. You see, God is sovereign over all things. And God is sovereign over COVID-19. There is no virus that is outside of the sovereign power and will of God. And even though we don't understand it completely, it all results in God's glory. It all results in good. 
So this is something that we can always find comfort in. I think that this this doctrine of, of the sovereignty of God is something that we should revisit, that we should constantly teach to others and to ourselves, that we should constantly ponder, that we, we should constantly go back and read the scriptures about. It, it helps us to rest at night. It helps us to, to, to live at peace. When I go to sleep at night and I pray and I ask God to protect my family, I can rest in the assurance that God is watching over me as I sleep. The very idea that we sleep shows that we are frail. This is the thing about, about our needs, about having so many needs. And a lot of times what we like to do is we like to just ask God, God, get rid of all our needs. Make sure we have no needs. We want to make sure we have an extra amount of money. We have an extra amount of food. We have all our bills paid. We're not in debt. Everything is good. Everything is perfect. But you see, a lot of those things, what they do is they bring us back to the reality that we have no control over life. That God is the one who is sovereign. That God is the one who has control over everything. So it helps us to depend upon God. We should depend upon God's grace for, for, for salvation, for all of our needs, for, for everything that we, that we desire, for every single thing. We can always rely and depend on God and His sovereignty. We never have to search out solutions in our own strength. We never have to search out solutions in therapists or, or other people. Yes, God uses people to help us. But ultimately, we need to realize that God is sovereign and we can find rest and peace in that. So I thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, I definitely want to speak about this topic again. I know I, I spoke about this twice already. I think this is something that we should always revisit. So once again, I thank you so much for listening to this episode. I encourage you to post it on your Instagram, to share it with people to send it to, to your churches, to your connect groups, to the people around you. And also, I encourage you to repost any information that you see on the Instagram. I thank you so much once again, and God bless you.